Nice. Brian, what is the first thing you notice about this wonderful guest, Joshua Goldstein? Goldstein or Goldstein? Steen. Well, uh, he's very handsome. <laughs> don't lie. Don't lie. What's the first thing you notice? Don't lie. Say it. I'm wondering when the last time he cut his hair was. Damn, you're nowhere near where I'm at. I'm like, this is the first time I've ever interviewed someone who's not on a, in an athletic event with their shirt off. <laughs> well, I think Paul Saladino did us a service last week and put one on. Typically, I don't think he would wear one either. Yeah, totally. Do you go by Farb or Josh? Uh, Josh is fine. Um, do you know Paul Saladino, Josh? Do you know of his work? Yeah, I know him. I've, I've never met him, but um, I've uh, you know listened to his podcasts and read his material and stuff. Are you a fan? Uh, some stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah honestly, there, there's not a lot of people out there from where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. There's like no one that I follow. Oh, you mean like their exact protocol? Well, not exactly that. It's it's like, um, I don't know. There, there's no one who's currently creating content and material that I like look to really for the guidance or information at this point. Okay. Strictly going off of. Uh, I mean, I, well, so there, there's, there's someone who's dead who I read his book. Um, but like the, the carnivore community as it stands right now doesn't really interest me. Wow. This yeah. is awesome. Josh, uh, Josh, how do you, is Josh okay or Joshua? Yeah, Josh is fine. Um, how old are you? I'm 30. And you live in? I just moved to Salt Lake City. I lived in Los Angeles for my entire life before this. Holy cow. Okay. I didn't know you made that jump. Is that on your Instagram that you jumped to Salt Lake City? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, no I, I scoured it back yesterday all the way to September 26, 2012, where your first post was bacon. <laughs> My first post was bacon. You wow. have... You have two um, serious loves in your life. You are, it appears to be very, very, very close with your mom yeah. and with meat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you're forgetting my dog. There's a, there's a constant theme. Well, yeah, as you get, as, as it progresses, there's a dog, there's a lot of women, um, <laughs> a lot of raw, an, a dead raw animals. And um, up here with me is Brian Friend, and Brian and I are um, friends, acquaintances. Would you say we're friends, Brian? Sure. Okay, friends, um, we worked together in a in a previous lifetime of mine that Brian is still in action, and I consider him one of the best analysts ever to analyze. Not best, not one of the best ever analysts of the CrossFit Games. He's just here to. I don't know why he's here. He's 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 he's, he, he's like yeah. He's like my blanket. My, my anytime Security I feel blanket? insecure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just want to see his face, don't you? Yes, yes. I mean, he grows a nice beard, so it's good to keep him around. I, know, um, I feel like I'm a little embarrassed. I trimmed it this morning. I should just let it go raw like you. Should have. How do you determine, how did you determine this morning whether you were going to wear your hair up or down? Um, I don't know. I pretty much always keep my hair down unless I need it out of the way. Um, but if I'm going to be visible anywhere, I always want my hair down because I have really amazing hair. Yeah. You really do have amazing hair. Did you always know you had amazing hair? Because it wasn't in in the pictures of you as a young man, your hair is shorter. Well, so when I was a very young kid, I had like this big curly Jufro thing and I just always hated it. So I knew it was amazing, but I didn't think it was amazing. 
Um, so I buzzed my hair for most of high school and college because when it was even, you know, like that long, I just couldn't control any of it. Um, so I just, I, uh, I uh, dampened my power, didn't have to deal with it. Isn't it amazing what happens to us as we get older? I, I honestly, I think that more and more. Every <laughs> Here you have this amazing hair as a kid. Let this be known to anyone, and, and most people don't even realize it as young as you do, but so many things that you don't like as a kid, you will love as an adult. Just be chill, man. Just be chill. Yeah, Savon, I think you could relate to this. My entire life, the thing I was the most self-conscious of was my nose. Wow. <laughs> it was, it's front and center, and uh, and I, I think like compared to the rest of my face, it was bigger as a child. I think I've probably grown into it a little bit. But that was the thing that everyone made fun of me for, and I just hated it. Hated it always until turn, turn uh, sideways. Let me see yours. Yeah, but yeah. you have really good shape. Thank you. Have, have you have you ever broken that thing? No, but I probably have it all fucked. Like I have deviated septum and stuff from, you know, just being a dumb kid, and I don't know because like it's kind of like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some. I I jumped into a pool and hit the bottom and broke mine, and so I don't breathe so well out of one of my nostrils. Yeah, my my left nostril is like not much going on in there. Um, how old were you the, when you realized you had a big nose? Do you remember how old you were? Mm, no, I was probably like in elementary school though. And did it take someone else to tell you, or did you spot it first? That I don't remember. Because I didn't know till I was in high school. I was probably like a sophomore, and then the kids made sure that I knew. I was like, wait, wait, what's going on here? Where are these nose kids jokes coming from? And then I had any of that stuff. <laughs> what did you say? I said, kids will never let you forget any of that stuff. <laughs> no. And, and it's, and, um, and you know, like I told my mom, I was like, you know, in high school, I was like, Hey mom, I want to get a nose job. And my mom said the best thing she could have ever said to me. Oh yeah, sure. No problem. When you're like in your late twenties, I'll pay for it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then by the time I'm in my late twenties, I'm like, what? Why would that? I do that? Yeah, yeah, who is that idiot? Yeah. My dad did the same thing to me with a motorcycle. When I was 12, I wanted a, a motorcycle. And he said, oh, when you're 16, I'll get you one. And when I was 16, I asked for it again. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. When you're 20, I'll get you one. And then eventually I just outgrew it. Yeah. That's what I, I never had my kids too. <laughs> um, one of the things I find w- when I go to your Instagram account and I, there's something about it that I'm uh, that I'm attracted to. There's something that I'm like, oh, this is all cool. Oh, this all resonates with me. Even stuff that like, it's, I mean, there's nothing on there that's so harsh as to say I don't agree with it. But for lack of a better words, even stuff that you're doing that I maybe don't agree with it all resonates with me. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, like you ate that chicken and maybe I wouldn't do that, but maybe I would want to do that. I'm honest with myself saying I want to do that. I want to experiment with myself like that, but I'm I'm not and I'm glad he is and I'm glad I get to, to watch him experiment. But I saw this video that you made going back and you talked about faith and you, I think you started by saying you talked about faith in the non and not in the religious sense. And I think that there's something that maybe where you and I align that a lot of people don't understand and, and maybe we don't understand it either, but we seem more like Forrest Gump. We just put our head down and run in one direction. And how we do that is is we have this kind of faith. And I've never really understood it, but it always feels like I'm even on the everything in the whole world around me is shaking. Everything that I'm standing on seems firm. And maybe it's, it's something and I can't explain it other than it feels like I'm always just 
on my path running in the direction I'm supposed to be running. Yeah. I mean, that's something that this last year has kind of really solidified for me is how strong of, you know, whether you want to use faith or optimism or whatever it is, is I just, I always feel like, not that I can do no wrong, but that if I, if I put, you know, my effort forward and I lead with truth and I, and I have faith that things will work out that, you know, whatever happens will happen. Um, but that I'm not worried about bad things happening. Um, we, we're in a place right now where people spend a lot of time worrying about all kinds of things. And then they're, they're, they're arguing with all these people they've never met before. And there's, it's a very high anxiety type of time, right? I think, I think on the scope of anxiety, depression, we have more people on the anxiety side. Um, and I've just, I've really been able to calm down over the last few years. And that has allowed me to feel more comfortable speaking my mind and be myself. And it's, it really manifests itself as this like calm confidence because now I'm not, I used to worry about what I said, especially online, because when you have people getting mad at you or whatever that is, and now I just don't care because it's not, it doesn't, it's not consequential to me because it would be worse for me to not speak the truth or what I believe. Two questions. How did that, what are the origins of being not comfortable saying certain things online? And then the second part is, is what, what do you know what clicked the transition to where you were like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let the floodgates open. Well, I mean, it probably starts from before the online world was that relevant. Um, you know, probably going back to being a kid and being ridiculed for things, right? When, if you express yourself and people make fun of you, you're less likely to express yourself. And so starting in like middle school, when kind of that type of shift of, of children kind of starts to move into that kind of preteen teen phase, kids start to make fun of each other a lot more. Um, and I got that a lot. Uh, high school was, you know, I, I, it was weird because high school was kind of like amazing and also miserable at the same time. Um, I had a lot of amazing times and it also was like very messed up for lack of a better term. Um, and so I stopped doing, I stopped being myself because I just didn't want to deal with all of the, of the hassle. Um, and it probably wasn't until I got to college that I kind of started to come into my own a little bit and feel a little bit more confident in who I was and the power that I have. But it still was a, a, a slow journey through there. And things really kind of took off for me like the last year or two. Um, and that kind of shifted with my diet played a huge part in that. And then also experimenting with um, various plant medicines. I, I saw that the um, mushrooms, right? Yeah, mostly and mushrooms. Anything else besides mushrooms? Um, I mean, ayahuasca. Um, Hop A, uh, some LSD, but I don't know. I, in in, high, in uh, college, I kind of like, that's kind of when I had most of my LSD experience and it was mostly just kind of like fun. It wasn't really purposeful stuff. Um, right. So it's only been the last few years that all of that has had purpose. What's the difference between um, using plant medicine for fun as opposed to the way you use it now? Well, I mean, when you use something for fun, you, you put this thing inside of you and then you expect it to do something to you. And then, but it doesn't require a lot of attentiveness. You just, you're kind of like, 
you know, it's like when, when you drink, you're not thinking, just assuming you're trying to get drunk, right? You're not kind of thinking like, okay, so I'm going to do some of this and then this is kind of what I want to start thinking and feeling and this is what I want to start getting into. You just put it in you and then you kind of, you're along for the ride. Um, when you do something with intent, like you're very much in the driver's seat, right? It might be powering the engine, but you're kind of, at least you're, you're trying to guide it somewhere and you're being very aware of what's happening. So before I do anything now, I, it's not like I, I'm not trying to dictate what's going to happen because I think people get in this, they get in this, this, uh, they fall in this hole where they try to set an expectation. They're like, okay, now I'm going to uncover this specific thing about me because no, 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 it doesn't work like that. But you kind of set like a general intention and you just sort of be present and it requires a, a certain stillness. Um, and you know, being, having a certain level of anxiety, like doesn't really go along with that. You kind of have to, uh, let go a bit. So you would think like, okay, if I'm in the driver's seat, like how do I let go? And it, it very much is like, okay, I'm in the driver's seat, but like also I'm letting Jesus take the wheel. It's like, we're, we're both kind of, you know, driving this thing together. And that has allowed me to get to some amazing places. Um, in my, in my limited in, in experience with doing mushrooms and LSD and things like that, and it's been more than 20 years, um, one of the, you just kind of connected this dot for me. It basically, things seem, some things, for lack of a better word, seem to move much, much, much faster. And what, basically what I heard you just say is, is being, to utilize mushrooms or ayahuasca is this, is basically, to get the most out of it is to meditate while you're on it. And what do I mean by meditate? Since that's such a generic term is to be present and to be either watching your thoughts or watching the outside world, but to be present. So even if your mind's noisy to be aware of it, if your mind's quiet, be aware of it, but not to, not to react. Yeah. Pe people try, again, people try to force things, right? So they either get in a place where, you know, people talk like bad trips. Okay. They're starting to fear what it is that they're thinking about. They're trying to avoid things. And if you start running away from something, then it starts, you know, it starts coming after you um, instead of just facing it head on. And, you know, most people, you know, they when they they anticipate some type of event in their life and it's OK, it's never as bad as you like think it was going to be. But if you never actually do the thing, then you never come to that realization. Right. You just are left with this. Oh, like, OK, when I get on the stage and have to do the public speaking, it's going to be terrible. If you're always like a minute off of getting on the stage the amount of anxiety you'd have in your life would just, you know, it, it would crumble. Oh. <laughs> but eventually, eventually you get on the stage and you go, okay, this is fine. I wonder if you could do it the other way too, if you could just go on a minute early and not yeah. have to deal with that last minute. Well, <laughs> you know, it's like, I remember being in school and like, when you want to give a presentation, it's like, I, just let me go first. I don't, right. I don't you know, just let me get over with. Yeah. Um, when, when you did, when you, Got on the podcast this morning. When did you decide that you weren't going to wear a shirt? Uh, or did you not decide? Sorry, I'm making a presupposition that you it was a decision. So so my, my natural state is me not wearing a shirt, right? So I have to decide to wear a shirt to do something. Um, I used to, to talk about this when I was in when I lived in Venice, but I would always have a shirt with me and I called it my Whole Foods shirt because Whole Foods is the only place I went to that required me to wear a shirt um, because... Oh, it's the costume you needed to get in there. Yeah, because like I mean, I it's always warm. I'm walking my dog around town. I go to the gym. I'm you know people they they wait until they're like one round into the workout to rip their shirt off. It's like why are you even wearing a shirt to start the workout? Come on, 
Um, an so, excuse yeah. to rest, an excuse yeah, to rest. Of course. Well, I could just sit there and rest anyways, right? And, and you know, an- another part of it also could be that it's kind of like when I go to the beach, when, when I was in college, I'd go to the beach, I wouldn't take my shirt off until I had a beer. And so, because then I would like stop being yeah, insecure I'm about cool. it. Yeah. So it's kind of could be the same way about the workout. You know, you're 50 burpees in and you don't have time to be insecure. Shirt off. Right. Maybe. Did, I don't know. No, another another cons- hypothesis. You ever consider not shopping at Whole Foods because they required you to wear a shirt? Uh, yes, but I don't know how else to feed myself at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm currently trying to, uh, learn what I can about, about farming and, and, and hunting and seeing if I can go more of that route. So I don't have to go into stores. Um, actually that, here in that, Utah. Yeah. Was that part up? of the reason you moved to Utah? Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of reasons why I moved here. Um, one, I just kind of wanted a completely different lifestyle surrounded by different people, um, with different values and, um, different landscape. I just wanted to get out of like really city type life. Um, and so there's also you chased a girl there. You chased a girl there. I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. Um, I'm so like, I'm at the place where I'm like, I'm, I'm bringing everything to me in a sense. Um, I just, I need to be in the right environment. So I needed to get out of LA. Um, I have uh, some amazing friends here who, who own a gym. And so I kind of, I came here specifically because of their, them and their community. Um, but I also really wanted to get into this. I feel like I'm in this kind of transitional phase where I need to learn a bunch of things before I kind of want to like settle down and start a family and stuff. Um, so, so coming here, I, it's really easy to expose myself to, um, like the farming practices. And, uh, I have a bunch of friends here who hunt and stuff. So I'm kind of trying to get into that, those things. That, uh, you know, that experience that you had with the shirt and whole foods, I think a lot of people are having that experience. I know I'm having that experience now with, uh, with mask. mask. You know, I, I don't feel like I need <laughs> to wear a mask in my life, but in this place that I live, the stores require to wear a mask. They were, Usually I can walk around the store without being harassed, but they will not let me check out unless I put a mask on. So I have to wrestle so, with the same, same thought of, am I going to shop in this store or am I going to try to find food a different way? I quit shopping at Whole Foods because they made me wear a mask. I mean, like, I just can't, I just, I mean, I, it's not even myself. I want to go everywhere with my kids and they make my kids wear a mask and I just can't do it on my kids. I mean, I'm willing to take one for the team, but there's no fucking way I'm putting them on my kids. Sorry, Josh, I interrupted. No worries. So what's, what's really interesting about like this whole mask thing is that so here in, in Salt Lake City, um, you know, I just moved here. And so I've been going to Target and Ikea and Walmart. Um, and He's I've just been- name dropping now. He's just showing off, Brian. He's just showing off. <laughs> yeah, real hard. Um, so I've been going to these, these, these stores, right, Home Depot. And every single one of these stores says everyone must wear a mask. It says must or it says required. And I walk in there with no mask. And I'm the only person in there with no mask. And no one says anything and I go check out and nothing happens. So when you realize that, like, what's happening in the world, in our country, whatever, is people just, they're following fear. If everyone just decided not to do the thing, we would be out of this thing tomorrow. And right. Ryan does that too, by the way. He's got some stories of going in without the mask, but then they get him at the checkout counter and they're like... We're not going to yeah, sell you this there shit. Was, uh, they... Seven employees surrounding the register I was at this morning that said, sir, if you don't have a mask, we will not check you out. They weren't saying you can't be in our store without a mask. They just refused to process my order <laughs> until I put a mask on. And they didn't have a self-checkout? Not at this store. No. 
Yeah, I mean, that's it's just such a weird thing because I'm walking around and I'm the only one, like the single, I've never seen another person in a store not wearing one. And like people look at me and they're just kind of like trying to figure out what's going on, but nothing happens. And I just go about living my life. So everyone wears them thinking that they have to. I mean, the sign says they do, but like signs say all kinds, like everyone like goes over the speed limit every single day. So clearly people are okay with not following rules, but there's something about like, they fear the shame of other people. But anyone who will look at me for not wearing a mask and think that I could not care less about what they think. Um, and actually there's a, there's like a farm front store here that I go uh, to get raw milk and they have like amazing meat and organs and stuff. And you know, their eggs are unwashed and all their animals are unvaccinated and everything. And I walk in there without a mask and there's sometimes, cause the people that kind of go to a place like that are a little different. Um, but the people working there, were no, a lot different, a lot different, <laughs> a lot different, but, but the people working are still wearing their mask. But when, when all the mask customers leave, they pull it down because they see that I'm fine, not wearing it. And then we when I, when, when I go to, I'll, I'll go to events like my kid's tennis tournament or the skate park or wherever, and everyone will be masked. And when I mean everyone, like 75 to 95% of the people, but my wife and I, and my kids won't be masked masked and then usually the people who come over to us yeah you're right josh they they'll pull down their mask they're like oh this is a mask free zone yeah yeah you kind of you kind of set the bar you kind of attract those people who are like hey josh um when i when i was i had finished uh i finished attending college and i was in santa barbara and i was at a party one night and i lost my shoes or i didn't i left there drunk and didn't have my shoes and i didn't wear shoes for two years I was barefoot for two years and I even took a trip all the way down to um, Cabo San Lucas. And I, and after two years of not wearing shoes, I, I, I mean, even before then, I came to the same realization that you did. People would say, why aren't you wearing shoes? And I would say, that's why not the question. Right. I, you put your shoes on. Let's, why did you put your shoes on? And then they have this whole litany of arguments, right? They would say, well, what if I step on something sharp? So I would show them, hey, look, I can put a tack in the bottom of my foot. Or what if I step on something hot? I would step on a cigarette and show them like, dude, I'm two years in. Like my, my sole is perfect. It looks like the most beautiful leather soled shoe you'd ever seen in your life. And it's a tough one to, for people to get their head wrapped around because they have such a wall against it. They think you have to wear a shirt. Sh- a shirt. You, they think you have to wear shoes because of some something that they've made up. And then when I do put on shoes, when I did put on shoes after two years, I was like, whoa, these are amazing. I really appreciate them. They were like armor, right? I felt like a knight. But now the same thing is happening with masks. People are, people are putting on the mask and then in retrospect, <laughs> telling the story why they have to have it. And it's like... It's tough. Well, it's it, tough it's, to see happen to our brethren, you know, our fellow man. It's, you know, the, the masks are just like a perfect metaphor for kind of whatever our, our modern world is, where there's so many things that people have no idea. They have, they do not realize at all that they do only because they're told that they have to do this thing. Um, there, there's so many things about like our, our daily life and, and how we view work and laws and all these different kinds of things where, like people have this like legitimate like slave mentality would go, Oh, these are the rules. I have to follow them. But like, where do these rules come from? Right? Like how many of these rules actually are real? Are they enforced? And people just do them because this is what we've always done. This is what we do. 
You know, it's like, I, I think about going back like pre 9-11, right? When you travel and you can go to the airport and, you know, you, you could just go up right to the gate, like without having a ticket, right? Like before you had to take your shoes off, like all, all the shoe bomber stuff, like, and with the, and with the liquids, like there was just a certain thing. And now we just, we just normalize to, oh yeah, this is how it is now. But people who were around from like before that, they go, oh yeah, it wasn't always like this. But I just, I, I feel so bad for all these kids who are going to grow up and they're going to basically spend their entire lives in masks and they're not going to know anything different. And I just, the world that that like is going to create, like think about the type of anxiety and, and lack of like human connection that those people are going to have through all of their developmental years. And then those are going to be the people in our society. Like they're going to be working jobs and they're going to be holding political office and they're going to be voting and all that kind mm. of stuff. But what well, you talk about it, like it's a foregone conclusion. Like I'm trying to think about ways that we can prevent that from becoming the reality. Well, I mean, that's, here's the thing is like, I'm certainly not doing that and I'm trying to get other people to not do it either, but there are people who, you know, they, they carry Purell in their purse before Corona was even a thing. So we might not be doing that, but those people will exist and we will have to coexist with them. That's yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You know, you, uh, I can't remember when it was recently, you put up a post this whole year. I've had this thought and you had alluded to it with your speed limit example of how inconsistent people are, right? They'll have like, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. But in this scenario, I'm willing to put all those things aside because it's convenient not to. And you put something up there that I just can't wrap my head around how, how husbands or fathers are like allowing this to happen where they won't let them into be with their wives that are giving birth. Like, why are people just accepting that as okay? Well, and, I mean, I, I think of, you know, I'm, I'm single, but I think about how I would feel, you know, if I had a wife and then if I had a kid on the way. And it's like, I'm breaking down every single one of those doors, yet you're not going to stop me from being with my pregnant wife, right? I mean, granted, I'm not taking myself or my wife or my kids to the doctor just about ever. Um, so I was going to say, don't worry, you're going to be having a home birth. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> there's, there's zero doubt about that. But, but like the people that go like, oh, yeah, they wouldn't let my husband in. It's like, what do you mean they didn't let him? Who stopped him? Did he just be like, oh, I guess I can't go in? Or did he, like, I mean, I'm talking about, like, fighting through people and pushing the door down and be like, I'm going to be in here and you can't tell me otherwise. But but people are just weak. People don't have the 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 strength or the confidence to, to put their foot down and be like, this is unacceptable. Once you think clearly, too, and I know that's really self-serving, my wife and I went to um, birthing class and it's, it was three hours once a week for like 13 weeks and we were going to do the whole doctor um, birth. Um, we, we wanted it to be in a hospital. We knew that was the safest way, blah, blah, blah. But six weeks in, I realized, oh shit, the people who have babies in hospitals are really the brave ones. The really the safest place to have your baby. Once you start thinking about each and every step that you do in the hospital, your, your baby is much safer <laughs> with a good midwife at home. Yeah than in the hospital. The hospital is a treacherous place to navigate because there are a lot of people there with a lot of different agendas. And I don't mean that in a conspiracy theory way. I just mean that like, like they have jobs to do and they want to execute on their jobs. Right. And, um, it's not a, it, it, those people who have babies in hospitals are the brave ones, not the people who do home births. Home births is kind of a, I mean, it's, it's, it's smooth. It's smooth. It's 
what do you think about this statement? I thought this popped in my head before we got on. I, I saw a, an article that they're basically saying that all the that the masks that they've been the hundred million masks they've given kids in school in Quebec are now being recalled because they're toxic, and the transit workers were given toxic masks. And I th- I I I, may, I think I even posted it. I said anything you do besides changing what you eat to affect your health is going to have unexpected consequences. Yeah. I mean, I don't, think I know that's that, a little bit of a strong statement, but no, but I mean, okay but it, it's, it. it's completely accurate though. Like I literally don't believe in anything besides nutrition and the, the natural elements as far as health goes. Right. So that might be like sun exposure, you know, barefoot grounding, whatever it is and food. Like I don't think that anything else actually provides any benefit whatsoever. And if it provides a benefit, then the, the negative consequences are much worse than whatever potential temporary benefit is. So the problem becomes when the government mandates and supplies masks, vaccines, any type of, uh, you know, pharmaceutical, anything like that. If there's any single thing wrong with them whatsoever, then they are fully responsible for that. But they're, but they're not held to that though. So they, that's the thing about, they're like irresponsible people because the government is just people. So they're like people who just get a pass. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, obviously government is just made up of people and we know how stupid people are, but the thing is government, they're not held to their, they're they're not, they're not held liable. So the the thing about, I mean, I think especially what we've seen over this last year, like the, the, like a major corporation and the government aren't really like separate entities, right? They're very intertwined. Um, but money does that money does that. Of course. And, but so like if a, if a, if a corporation or if a company does something wrong or, you know, their, their customers be like, Oh, I, you've, you sold us this thing and it had, it did this bad thing. So now we're not going to buy your thing anymore. Right. Like you can now like sue them. You can do all different kinds of things. The government isn't held liable to anyone because they're the ones that regulate themselves. It's like, Oh, we did an internal investigation and we didn't find anything. Right. It's just, there's no, there's no checks and balances because they they hold all of the all of the cards. So if like they have to not mandate things, otherwise everything that they mandate it has to has a consequence. And so if they aren't held liable for those consequences, then they're just like, what's to stop them from just doing anything? And it's not that they have. They're not, it's not the, the whole thing about like conspiracy. It's not that like there's a bunch of people in a room like rubbing their hands together. It's like, how can we just ruin everyone's life? They think that they're doing the right thing. I agree 100%. I wish there was some evil mastermind. I think we're dealing with pure benevolent stupidity. Yeah. I mean, most people are just trying to, to make a buck and be like, okay, but this will help people. But obviously, that's not how things work. And so if they're not held liable for it, then how are we as as citizens? Like, what are we supposed to do? I mean, the only thing I can say is, like, I just reject what you, like, require of me. Um, so, you know, whether it's something in the mask or it's something in the vaccine, like, I, I just I say no. I don't know what else to do besides just refuse to do what they tell me to do. I, I my, my day is filled with thinking of of like funny metaphors and images of what's going on. And like this one image that keeps coming to me is that the government is standing on the edge of a cliff, people who are scared and telling them, Hey, if you jump, we guarantee you'll live another two minutes with no, with no, with not telling them that, Hey, after two minutes, you're fucking going to hit the ground 
Or I picture our doctors and our scientists seeing fish jump out of the water, but being so myoptic at their vision that they're like, oh my God, the lake's dry. It's like, no, these are fish swimming upstream that jumped out of the water as they swim upstream. But there's this view, there's this lack of, um, I don't want, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to use any like cheesy hippie words because I know it turns people off, but there's this lack of this holistic view. Like there's lack of like everyone sitting in a living room across from their grandma concerned she's going to die with no concern about the entire planet, like no concern about their kids, no concern. And this view is going to get us, is going to get us in a lot of trouble. It's, um. I, 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 of course, will. I do not have a problem with people taking the vaccine. There's no way I will take the vaccine, even if I have to, like, you know, like if they do vaccine passports, I just won't go anywhere. I'll be chill. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy in Santa Cruz, California, and the sun and the beach. And, um, was there any? So, you're born in, you're born in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. You both, your mom, your dad is Steven Spielberg, and. <laughs> That one picture you posted of him, it's crazy. It, he, do you know what I'm talking about? He's, I think he's in a tuxedo. He looks yeah. just like Steven Spielberg. It's nuts. By the yeah. way, I get that too if I grow my hair out a little bit. You can tell I you that. Does your dad get that? No, I mean, maybe he would have when he was younger, but he just gets Albert Einstein. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that in his later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had a mustache for like a good 20 years before Corona sort of made him bring back the beard, which I was really happy about. And so both your parents are Jewish. No, my mom's not Jewish. Your mom is not Jewish. No. Did you get the talk when you were a kid? Um, hey, the world's out to get Jews. Um, you're going to have to hide that. Or did you get any of that from your parents? No, I didn't get anything about, um, I don't know, heritage, background. Like My family is very much just like me, my mom, and my dad. Um, so my, so my mom's Persian. She was born in Iran. Um, she kind of, she comes from like the lineage of the Royal family. Um, so, but oh, I they, can see that in her. She looks like I can yeah. see that in her. Yeah. She, um, she looks like but, a movie star, <laughs> something like that. Um, but yeah, like, it's funny cause growing up in LA, like there's tons of Jews and there's tons of Persians in LA. And I actually didn't really know much of either growing up. I grew up in Manhattan beach. Um, so it's not as much as like if you're in like, the Beverly Hills area or whatever, um, but I did never really had much connection to my, my background. Um, I didn't have a bar mitzvah. Um, so I didn't really like think about being Jewish or being Persian. I just thought of being me and that was about it. It is a pretty, I believe it's a pretty common theme for, and who am I to say this? So if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I believe it's a pretty common theme for Jewish kids and black kids to be told by their parents at a very young age that, Hey, this is a fucking mean world out here. And there's going to be people who hate you because you're a Jew. And there's going to be people who hate you because you're black. And now that I have kids of my own, the insanity. And, and now that we're in this COVID response crisis, and that's what I call it a COVID response crisis. Cause COVID's not the crisis. It's the response right. that's created the crisis. But it's the insanity of telling a kid that and planting those seeds into a child that he has nothing, that he has no ability to control and thinking that will help him and not realizing what that will germinate into. Um, and, and, and it's also very, very race-based. You're basically, you know, demanding your kid be racist when you say that um, to view the world as with different race and color both participants and I'm sure other, other people do it too, but I'm just familiar with, I just know a lot of Jews and a lot of black people who've told me that story. And, uh, 
I'm actually happy to hear your parents did it because I just thought that that was just common, especially for for Los Angeles. But my feeling is is that you should tell kids about the dangers of the world that they can control, right? So your three-year-old's by the stove and you're like, hey, careful, your hair could catch on fire. Or, hey, don't pull the dog's tail, it could bite you. Or... But, but you don't tell them, hey, if there's a nuclear bomb drops, this is what we're going to do. Like, what? <laughs> you know? And I, I don't believe in instilling fear in kids. So it's good to hear that you didn't have that. Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the, the state of anxiety that our, our modern culture sort of builds, like that's just doing more of it, right? Like if you think someone's out to get you, then your ability to be responsible and, you know, self-sufficient is, is just going to be hindered from a young age where – you are now looking to the the out the external world to kind of dictate what your success and happiness is. Um, when that's why I, I mean I talk about you know always bring up personal responsibility with all of this is that like look like there are things out there that are going to affect you like you can take the the best care of your health and if you live in a super polluted city like you're going to have problems but you can still eat the best diet you can right like there's still so many things in your control and if you only focus on the things that are out of your control you'll never get anywhere. Um, this reminded me of this. What if our parents would have told us, like at the age of two, hey, Sevon, hey, Josh, just so you know, in another 10 years, you're going to have a giant nose and people are going to make fun of you. Uh, no, it's yeah. okay. You can save that. Well, I'd rather just find out on my own. I don't need right. to be stressed for the next 10 years. <laughs> that when, when I get to high school, everyone's going to be talking about my nose. Yeah, that'd be a nightmare. Josh, you mentioned like the ideal diet or something like that. What's uh? In, in your current state, what does what does an ideal diet look like for you? Um, so, I, I, as I've like kind of gone through, you know, I, I was eating paleo like ten years ago, whatever, when I started doing CrossFit, and um, kind of everything I did that made just too much sense to me. It's like, okay, there are foods that we were supposed to eat that we evolved eating, and those are going to be the foods that we're most adept to handling. So, my kind of nutrition focus on that really started there and that made certain changes over the years but it kind of still kind of hovered around like okay i'm eating foods that uh, are going to be you know perhaps like easily digestible and are going to be somewhat consistent with you know obviously there's there's very clearly certain processed foods with certain ingredients that like we should never eat so that was kind of like always in there to some extent as i as i went into like the carnivore thing the carnivore mindset wasn't that Meat's the only food that we can eat. But the way I looked at it was uh, this is the perfect way to eliminate all the potential problematic foods to see if you have reactions to and then find out what it is that you can handle and then kind of go from there. But as, as I kind of spent more time looking at the, the carnivore community, like there are people who just go like, you know, years, decades with just eating meat and I think you can get by, but it's still like a severely um, restrictive. And I kind of look at carnivore now as like a starvation diet. It's just thinking, how, what are all the things I can get rid of and like still get by? By the way, that's what Paul said, the conclusion he came to, too. We interviewed him last week. Yeah. And that's exactly what he said, right? He said it's kind of a starvation. When you don't have carbs, you're in starvation mode. Yeah. Sorry, continue. So he no agrees with you on that. Yeah. And so, but then I started looking more into like really what – what are we doing to food that we shouldn't be doing? And then that's where I got into all the raw stuff where I've started thinking like, okay, so every single animal in the entire world eats all of their food raw, right? 
Every carnivore eats their meat raw. Um, every herbivore eats their plants raw. Now, granted, herbivores have two, four stomachs that they can ferment and, and break down all this food. But I think, you know, we know that a lot of the foods that herbivores eat, we shouldn't be eating. So we have to process them in all these ways. Um, but, you know, I had been experimenting with raw meat as far back as like eight years ago. And I just I had this like certain fear of bacteria. And then I started eating a little bit more raw meat through the carnivore thing, but just kind of because, you know, I was doing a lot of raw liver and I was like, okay, if all this raw liver is safe, then like, why wouldn't a raw steak be safe either? Um, but then I specifically found this book um, and the book is called We Want to Live. And the diet in it is referred to as the primal diet, which is like before Mark Sisson ever called his version of paleo primal, there was, there was this thing. Um, and this guy wrote this book and it's kind of like a very specific approach to eating a raw diet. And the big thing about it is, is that like your food should be living, right? Like when, if I kill a deer, right? Like the deer itself is dead, but the food is still alive. It has all of the bacteria, all of the enzymes, every, all the nutrients in it are still where they're supposed to be. And so when you cook them, you destroy all of that or you destroy most of it, right? Like, you know, if you sear it, you're still getting raw parts on the inside. But when you, when you take meat, meat's generally fairly soft. And then now you're going to dry it out. You're going to crust it. And these things are a lot harder for your body to digest. So I just started, I just pretty much like almost overnight switched to eating all my meat raw. Um, and I'd already been doing a lot of raw dairy in uh, raw eggs. So I just kind of kept doing that. Um, and then I started following just more of his recommendations as I was removing more things that are like modern implementations of food and going back more to um, something that looks more truly ancestral and kind of understanding maybe things that I just wouldn't have thought of that he talks about in the book. Um, like for instance, like I don't eat any salt. Um, and I also don't drink any water. Um, I drink milk and then I drink, uh, celery juice and celery juice is going to have like real living organic water in it that hasn't been tainted with any type of pipes or chemicals or anything like that. Right. It's just getting like literally fresh water. And you're also getting the, all the minerals and the sodium that are already in the celery. So then you don't need to worry about supplementing with minerals and, and you know salt and these different things that come in like a rock form, which, I mean, if you think about it, like we're probably not supposed to eat rocks. Right? It doesn't seem like a human thing to do. But we eat all these like tiny little rocks and we go like that's – for some reason that makes sense. So like I wouldn't have thought about the celery juice if it wasn't for his book. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of organs, um, a lot of fermented foods. So like I will purposefully rot my meat. Um, I'll leave liver, uh, in the fridge for two months, airing it out and let it turn green and black. And it smells terrible, but it, it's, it, they call it, they call it high meat. It's like a, an indigenous thing. They call it high meat because it makes you feel like euphorically high. Um, and it's, you're basically, you're getting more bacteria out of it which means that the food is more living. Okay. Whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it may, you're making sense, but, you know, like I'm having all these emotional responses that say you're not making sense. But, yes, you are making sense, complete sense. Uh, let, uh, let's start somewhere simple. Celery juice. Do you, so do you buy celery and make your own celery juice? Yeah. And what, what's that look like? 
Um, so I, I have a, like, a, you know, a big juicer on my kitchen counter and I go buy a bunch of bundles of celery and, uh, I just like, I run them through there and I might make like, a I don't know, a half gallon or so at a time. And then I drink it over the next few days. Um, because you know, if I'm thirsty, I want to have something. And, um, if I'm not going to drink water, it's like, I always want to make sure I have celery juice or milk that I can drink. Um, are there... Someone told me that celery powder has a shitload of nitrates in it. Are there nitrates in that? I mean, I'm, I'm making this connection that um, I don't know if I should I mean, be. So, if, if nitrates are naturally occurring in celery, then I would assume that nitrates are in celery juice, um, which would I, w- I would assume be adding to the the mineral content there. But it's not like I'm not I'm not I don't have a concern either way about whether it has nitrates in it. What about distilled water? Have you ever thought about distilling your water? No, distilled water would probably be like the most terrible thing you could possibly drink because it is water and literally nothing else. And all you're going to be doing is depleting your body of, of minerals and you're going to be dehydrating yourself. Oh, Wait, shit. I only second. drink distilled water. Yeah, you, uh, <laughs> Josh, but I eat a shitload of greens. Josh, are you familiar with uh, the couple of communities around the world that are that I think they're they call it ionized water, like the water. They like really. They usually live in alt, uh, at altitude, and the water kind of tumbles off of glaciers, and then they drink from these natural pools. And they're supposed to be some of the longest living communities in the world. So I would drink like a a natural spring water that was like completely uh, untainted by any type of you know industrial anything, right? So if it's natural spring water, spring water, it's real living organic water it's going to have minerals in it it's going to have bacteria in it it's a real living thing if you get water um from any type of pipe system like that water has so much crap in it and then if you filter it what you're doing is like okay now you're you're making something void of stuff and then now you're inserting other things into it which is like again like an unnatural process and so the whatever you're adding to it is not the way it, it was which means it doesn't have the it's up to the humans to try to, with our understanding, try to put together something as opposed to just, hey, this water that exists, that's the way it's supposed to be if you get it from a spring. So I would absolutely drink um, natural spring water. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll like very rarely get like a Gerald Steiner water because it's it's a naturally sparkling um, spring spring water versus if you buy other sparkling water, they, they carbonate it as opposed to just being the way that the state is. Oh, that stuff is good. And you know what? That stuff, I like that stuff because it, it is the saltiest too. It's kind of like yeah, got well, a little. It's, it's really high in calcium. Okay. Um, but like that's just the mineral content that comes from the water itself. But I still very, very rarely drink much of it at all. I might drink like that much of it like every couple weeks. Um, and actually, I just bought some like two days ago and it was the first I've, I've even had in, in like over two weeks. And so it's just been um, celery juice and, and lots of milk. Do you use condoms? No, no, but I also don't have, I don't have sex with people I'm not in a relationship with. Right. Your Instagram has a, how many pair? Well, before we talk about girls, how many pairs of shorts do you own? Uh, I have no idea. Is it like more than 20? Mm, I mean, by, tw- that by I, shorts, I mean also like the banana hammocks really? also. Um, I probably have as well that I own. I definitely have more, but that I would ever wear, probably not 20. Um, I so have you're like, like me. I have like four underwear that are my favorite and I just try to wear them all and then wash them as fast as I can. You have your favorites. 
Well, so for underwear, I only have like one underwear and I have like 15, 20 pairs of it, though I don't really wear underwear anymore. Um, and I, I have, I, I haven't really been wearing shorts cause it's been cold cause I moved to an entirely different, uh, climate. Um, but I, I have like a very limited like number of things that I wear and I just cycle through the same ones. The first time you wore a speedo, do you remember when that was? Um, like the very, very first time I was probably a kid. Um, but the, I, I, the, the time that as like an adult, I decided to wear a speedo was probably in high school. And then uh, it just stuck. Was that hard to do? Were you like, Oh shit, I can't believe I'm doing this. I mean like, yeah, the, the first time you're just kind of like, I mean, I don't know. I was also like that guy at parties in high school. I would just get drunk and get naked and run around the house. Um, right. But I was also drunk. Right. So there's a certain, there's a different state there. Um, but yeah, at a certain point, it's just like, you know, what's, what's going to happen if I wear a speedo? Nothing. So, so kind of like the same way you're experimenting, like the way you're experimenting with raw meat. I mean, I think that 99% of dudes would like to wear speedos, but they just don't because they don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want the attention. They don't want to be the only guy without the mask. But obviously it's like, it's pretty nice, right? You got your junk held up and kind of out of the way. And then the rest of you is free. Yeah. I mean, with, with anything that you do, if you're going to do something that other people aren't doing, it's going to draw attention to yourself. And some people are actively trying to avoid drawing attention to themselves. And I used to, I used to be like that too. I just like, I was shy and, and anxious and I just would rather be, you know, uh, almost to a certain extent, like in, invisible, right? Which is what you see what people doing right now is they're so happy that they have math that they can just remove themselves from society. And like they're, they view that as a positive thing. Um, I like, I mean, I, I want to interact with as many people as possible. Like when I lived in Venice and I would walk my dog all around town, I loved it because I'd be walking around wearing nothing but my short shorts with my dog and all kinds of people say, hi, they want to talk to the dog. They say random things to me. And I just, I enjoy human interaction and connection. So I want to live a life that promotes that. But there are people who are trying to shy away from it, I guess. What, when did girls start paying attention to you? Um, I remember I was in high school. And uh, so I told you, I kind of got like made fun of a lot. So most of the girls at my school would not give me any attention. But when I was a sophomore and I was going to parties where there were kids at other schools, I got a ton of attention from the girls who went to other schools because they weren't privy to the, the, the ridicule that I was getting. And they go, Oh, here's this guy. I I'm into him. I don't, why would I think anything otherwise? So for, for most of, especially like my, my younger high school years, I was, almost only hooking up with girls that went to other schools. Um, but even then it still took a long time to get over that kind of just like enforced self-consciousness. So it, even when I was, it wasn't until the end of college that I really started to feel a lot more confident in just like really aggressively pursuing women. And now you're, you're in love with women. Are you still yeah, like I mean, a pretty I, hardcore woman phase? I mean, there's a lot of girls on your Instagram. Well, so, so where I'm at now is that like, I'm only interested in marriage. And so I don't sleep around. I don't date around. I only, I only interact with women if I'm trying to, if I think that, you know, it's, it can lead to, to marriage and children. That's the only place that my head's at now. So yeah, I like, I mean, I, 
I turn down sex with women um, because it, it doesn't have value to me because the only thing that has value to me is marriage and children. Wow. How did you make, like, I never wanted children and I have children. How did you decide at 30 that you want children? Well, I've wanted children my whole life. Like I was a little kid and I was this like hopeless romantic and I would, you know, I watched a lot of movies and I just sort of like, I had this idea of, of love from a very young age. And I just kind of, I, I knew where, where I wanted to go. Um, but then, you know, when you're, when you're young, like, you know, you can't just be like 15 and like, that doesn't just like happen, especially if you grow up in somewhere like LA versus, you know, maybe another part of the country. Um, so being kind of like, well, not being able to get this like really deep, uh, intimate relationship type thing from a young age, it's like, okay, well, I mean, I'm still attracted to women and I want, um, I still want the connection. So you kind of go towards the less meaningful stuff. But, you know, I, I always use sex to get intimacy, which a lot of guys probably go the other way around. I was, I was trying to get to like the post nut cuddle, you know, just kind of being there as opposed to getting to the sex. Um, but you know, as I, you know, through my twenties and I started, um, being with a lot. And also what if you want to do it again? I used to always trip on that too. Guys would be like, yeah, I had sex with her and I wanted her to leave. I'm like, wait, what, what, what are you going to do in 10 minutes when you want to do it again? (laughs) What do you mean you wanted her to go away? I mean, I was certainly in situations where I did something with her that I wanted to go to leave, but then at a certain point, I was like, well, what, what was the value in that? If I wanted her to leave. Like that, that's, that's a hollow, um, empty experience. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, through, yeah, through, through my twenties, when I started, you know, being with more women, like I, yeah, I think at a certain point I probably got a little like carried away because I, I realized what I had the ability to do. But there were always the situations where I was very much interested in, um, you know, the woman I was pursuing. And then it, it was, it's interesting that like they would be the ones who were not interested in the more meaningful, you know, long-term thing. They were the ones just wanting the like short fling. Um, but again, like, you know, as a, as a human being, like, you know, you do get lonely and you do want that physical connection and affection. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, a couple of years back when I, I, I met this woman online, um, and, uh, she lived in another country and we, we, I went out to see her and we had a, an amazing time together and it didn't work out, but it was like a really, really strong, intimate, romantic connection. And that showed me like how, how loving and passionate, not just like sex can be, but the entire relationship with a woman. And, you know, we, we weren't going to work out, but it was from that day, I kind of realized like, oh, okay, I know what I want. Why am I wasting my time doing things that I don't want? If I know that I want like a deeply loving, intimate relationship, marriage, children, anything that I know won't lead to that, or I think can't lead to that is a complete waste of my time and energy. So I stopped putting energy to it. Well, I don't know if that's ever what I wanted, but definitely I know uh, my life is full of long-term relationships and man, now I've been with my wife for over 20 years and like, I can't emphasize enough that I agree with you. Like every day on some level, it does get better, even through the hardest moments. So, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like just having a, a friend for a long time, right? You have to have the bad times. You have to have the good times, but shit, you're putting money in the bank when you stay with someone. So... Um, 
Yeah, that's awesome. I just can't imagine being there at 30. I don't think I found, I, yeah, I think at 30, I was where you were in the 20s. I was like, holy shit, I could go out hunting. I don't have to wait. <laughs> well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it, 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 like, it gets harder because it's getting easier. Right. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, as, I, as I become more of this person and more of this person is just more of myself, right? I'm more comfortable with myself. I'm more comfortable being my, my true expression, being more confident. I'm getting way more attention than I was when I thought I was getting a lot of attention. Um, so it's like, it's hard to say no, because you still have those desires in you and you go, this person is attractive. I want to do this thing. Um, but it's actually so easy because I go, that's not what I want. Do you have any friend? Do you have girlfriends who you're, who you're friends with that you haven't slept with? Yeah. Where it's, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, is there that tension there? Um, I mean, there are certainly some of my friends who there is a certain level of, of sexual tension with, or there's a certain level of attraction. Um, but if I, if I actually thought that there was like a future there, then I would have like pursued it. Right. Um, so I don't think that most of the women that I'm friends with, I, I'm interested in, in that regard. It's kind it's kind of weird. Um, maybe it's cause I'm 49, but like, you know, probably the first 35 years I did, of my life, I didn't have any f- girls who were like, I mean, they were all my friends, but there wasn't it up to that point, you know, th- there was always that chance, right? I always thought, okay, yeah, that person can get the dick. But not w- once I reached like 35 or 36, it kind of went away. Like I really just enjoy just having women as friends. It's really bizarre. I, I mean, I didn't never thought it was bizarre until just now I'm talking to you because now it seems just like commonplace. And I go to all these places because I'm with my kids all the time where there's just tons of moms, right? So that's who I hang out with, moms, and we talk shit. And I'm I, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, shit, if this was 20 years ago, I'd be thinking about how to get their number and rail them. But now I never think that. Well, I mean, so- I wonder that, if I'm okay. Do I need to eat more raw meat? <laughs> no, that, that might make your, uh, your self-control a little harder. Who knows? Um, well- so, well, so when I was in Venice, like pretty much all of my friends were women. Like when I'd hang out with my group of friends, it'd be like me and five girls. It looks um, like it on your Instagram. It looks like yeah, a good time. But, but so like, that's the thing is that like, I mean, I, I, I love them all very much and like I have fun with them, but I realized that I was like missing male connection and camaraderie. And that was a, a large part why I found this community here in Salt Lake City so amazing is that it's the majority of the people here are men and they're all men that I respect. Um, and I view them as capable and, and admirable men. And I think that that's get us getting sort of lost in our world is that, I mean, not that like men and women should never interact, but like men spend most of their time with men and women spend most of their time with women. And there are, there's development that happens in those places. And, you know, something that like, you know, I, I played sports my whole life. And so like I was always on teams and then everyone in your sports team is a man. And then as you get older and like that doesn't happen anymore. Okay. So I'm going to the gym and then the gym is very much a mix of the two. And a lot of CrossFit gyms have more women than men. Um, and there's a certain, there's a certain side of you. There's a certain part of you that isn't being stimulated the same way that if you're not around women and you're around men who are pushing you right there's a certain type of of men there's a certain type of man that i'm when i'm being around doesn't doesn't make me feel that and there's another type of men that i go um i respect you like i feel 
I feel comfortable that if shit were to go down, like we that together we can handle this thing. And there's like it's a level of competition that's very healthy because I go, okay, if I'm around a bunch of capable men, I don't want to be the least capable one here. And so that is very motivating and very driving to be, you know, uh, physically and kind of you know mentally stronger. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I've never heard it worded like so well, but I know exactly what you're talking about. There was a guy at my work who could, uh, who, who in one of my jobs who could beat up anyone and everyone like being around him because we, this job required a lot of drinking and late night sessions. And if this guy was there, nothing bad could happen. Right. And then I have another friend who like, um, who's an amazing carpenter and he used to live by me. And it was like, yeah, I saw, I saw, I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah, you want to be around other capable men because they make you feel more capable. And then on top of that, you don't want to be the weakest link. So you live up to, you try to live up to your, you, you want to contribute. Like if the guy's always bringing over the steak to your house, you want to make sure that fucking like you're contributing something. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm feeling you on that. I started doing jujitsu in the last year and, and my friends here, you know, a lot of them do jujitsu and we have mats at the gym. And that's the thing is like, okay, I'm around this, I'm around some men who I feel are more, physically capable than I am, but they are literally helping me become more because they're going to go teach me something. Right. So that is like, we're, 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 we're together. Like we're, we're a team. And so I want you to be more capable, just like I want myself to be more capable because if we're the same community, then we, we help each other. And, um, and so I've actually been, I've been getting a bunch of these guys onto the raw diet stuff. Like I just like, I just like, red pilled the shit out of them a couple of days ago. And so like they, they sat there and went, fuck, am I going to have to eat raw meat now? Cause once I explained it to them, they go, I have to do this. Um, and you know, that, that has been a huge part of, you know, I talked about how over the last year, the, the diet and the plant medicine sort of together kind of came and really, cause I mean, we were talking about like the things that are inside of you, right? Like the, the food that you eat makes up your cells and it, and it changes your bacteria, which changes your, your personality, your mindset, right? Then the, then the, the plant medicine changes your kind of spiritual force and all of that together lead to me being whatever this current version of myself is. And the, the raw diet has been interesting because my libido is higher than it's ever been in my entire life. But because it's this very calm and confident libido, like I don't masturbate. Like I don't feel this like need to then go out and sleep with women to like release this energy. Cause I, I said the way I phrase it is I don't have a sex drive. I have a reproduction drive. Mm. I have like, I, I literally all day just think about like having kids, but I think about it in it's like sexual nature where it's, I think about finding a woman who I have a deep intimate connection with. And then I think about the sex with her that creates children. Like that is what gets me hard, not like getting off. It's a completely different way that I feel like the idea of sex drive or libido has like ever been told to us. Well, yeah, right. I mean, for a second, it's, they tell us it's for reproduction, like in the eighth grade, right? But then, right. Something, but then something happens. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine poor kids today? I mean, when we when I was a kid, I used to go home and my friends would come over and we'd look up the word ass in the dictionary. Now you can t- go to your parents' computer and type in three dudes and a donkey and probably see the craziest shit in the world. You can type in anything into your Google and, 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 and your kid will never unsee that ever, 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 ever. They will never fucking unsee that. 
Have you seen Mr. Hands? No. Is it a porn? Uh, not quite. <laughs> oh, oh, no. In your free time, Google Mr. Hands. Okay, I will. Um, what's the longest you've gone without ejaculating? Um, maybe like six months. Holy shit. You're not the wow, first that's how guest. old are you? You're no, I mean, but like, I, like in your adulthood? Yeah. Wow. Was that hard? So, uh, no, not at all. It's really the easiest thing in the world. I have no desire to masturbate at all. I went, so you went, you've gone six months with no masturbating and no sex. Yeah, I, I think I'm at, I think I might be at like, shit, I might be longer than now. I think I might be like seven, seven months. I, I went two months once and I kept these 20 pound dumbbells by the side of my bed. And anytime <laughs> I like got a hard on, I just jumped up and started doing reps. And my That's theory cool. was, was. My theory was just to take blood out of the cock, but wow, <laughs> seven months. That's amazing. And, and no nocturnal emissions. No. So this is an interesting thing, right? I, I've, I had one when I was like in high school, I remember. Um, and it's, I, I remember it so vividly because I woke up like while coming and it was like a very intense experience. Um, what was his but- name? You almost got me there. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've never had one that I know of in my adult life. And especially since I've been, you know, not masturbating or ejaculating at all. I don't and think so I've had I, one in my adult life either. It was, it was just when I was a kid. Yeah. But so here's the thing about like, well, you've never gone that long without ejaculating. Right. So like. You just two, two months. Whoa, whoa, two, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't, don't throw rocks from your seven all months, right, buddy. All right, two all right. months, two months. I got to be in the top fucking 95%. Okay. So, so this is, this is how I understand it from like what I've, what I've read online. Okay. So like people talk about like your sexual energy will spoil. It'll sit there and it'll spoil. And so if it spoils, your body will try to get it out. So that's where the nocturnal emission comes in. So supposedly, if you don't have a nocturnal emission, it means that you're like cycling the energy properly. So, so people will do various like breathing drills to kind of like bring the energy up and kind of keep it moving. Um, and I've like experimented with some of that stuff, but to be honest, I really don't really do it at all. Um, I, I like when I was in Venice, we had a, a, a ice bath and sauna deal, and then we would do these like breathwork classes and go back and forth there. So. I was doing a lot of breath work then, but I haven't done any in the last couple of months. But my my energy feels like it's doing something amazing right now. Like I had a crazy epiphany a couple of nights ago, and like I th- I think I'm writing a book now. <laughs> like it's kind of like one of those things. Um, and you know, because like sexual energy is is the energy is the seat of creation, right? Like that's creative energy. And so if you're not creating a child then you can use that to create other things. And so I feel like I'm riding this, I don't know, crazy wave of something right now where, you know, it, it's, a, I think it, the thing is everything I'm doing, I feel contributes. It's eating in a certain way. It's, it's doing the plant medicine. It's, it's not ejaculating. Like all of these things are sort of like creating my current state where like, I've never been happier in my entire life. I've never been more, more calm and, and confident and comfortable in my entire life. And now I feel like this stuff is just like happening. Like it's not, it's at this point, it's like out of my control. Like we're back to like Jesus take the wheel, but it's, it's me doing all of this work day in and day out to support that. And then everything kind of just like feels like it's flowing. And 
um, it, I, it feels like just magic is happening around me. Um, yeah. For people who are listening, there's also this thing, um, that happens when you don't masturbate or when you, when you do the, what's another example of it? You, you gave another example, but basically it's, it's a, it's a sort of a form of hacking meditation because basically what you have to do is, is you have to be really aware, especially in the beginning. And maybe it doesn't sound like you had to Josh, but I had to. So one of the things you have to do to not masturbate or not have sex is you have to be really, really fucking aware because after like a little bit of while, the dry, the desire becomes so strong and the excuses to let one fly come in so hard. Oh, fasting. Fasting is another example. Right. It's, it's, it's sort of a hack on meditation. Like if you're not sure what meditation is or what it means to watch your mind, try not eating for 16 hours, but hanging out with food. And you inevitably, if you're not, if you don't have a strong mind, you'll catch your hand, grab a piece of cantaloupe and start to put it in your mouth and then you'll catch yourself. And, um, I really like these kinds of practices, these kinds of, I wouldn't, some people kind of call them like depravity meditation. I don't like to think of it like that. I like to think of it more as just self-control and experimenting with your body and, and not, and not wasting your time, you know, taking advantage of the fact that we're here on this planet. This is our body and we can try to do these things. And, and, and ironically, I, 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 think that there's no better way to experiment with yourself than to stop doing things, stop wearing a shirt, stop cooking your food, stop masturbating, as opposed to this whole society of people that's just adding shit. And it's like, hey, man, the answers aren't out there to keep, like, you don't have to go to Mars, although I think it's really cool. Don't get me wrong. You can go inward. You can start, like, tearing layers off of yourself. Um and it sounds like you're doing it hand in hand. You're tearing layers off your personality and you're tearing or off your identity and you're tearing layers off of your attachment to the, to the world's kind of in this healthy tandem. I think it's really cool and it's inspirational and it's good leadership for the world, by the way. Thank you. Uh, well, so that's the thing, right? You, you phrase it perfectly. It's like people are trying to add things to themselves, right? So it's like, okay, take this supplement, like try this weird device. Like the biohacking thing is always like get buy one of these, buy one of these, buy one of these. Um, your feet hurt by a different pair of shoes. No, motherfucker, take your shoes off. <laughs> no shoes, right, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so when it comes to like, when I think about what's happening to me and like who I am now, it's not, I'm not a new person. I'm the person that I always was. I just started getting out of my own way. I, I'm now letting go of all these other things that I built up to make myself feel safer, but were actually holding me back. Right. Like I'm, I'm now free, which means that I'm not safe, but like, that's how I'm actually living now. And that's, that's the true expression. Brian, I saw you lean in. I'm just listen to say something. Oh, I've got tons of thoughts, but no, no, that, that is a very, um, a lot of the stuff that you talk about is, is really challenging for people. And at 30 years old to have, already like evolved into many of these things is beyond a lot of people in your age groups, you know, ability to process. Um, you said something uh, on, on your Instagram a few days ago that I just keep thinking about and I think it might be relevant here. You said to not suffer is to not live, but the goal should be yeah. no unnecessary suffering. And I was just curious if that was an original thought that you had or if you'd you know, come across that somewhere and how you've been able to apply that in your own practices. His CrossFit L1 taught him that. <laughs> um, 
So I, I, that suffering idea, I feel like I, I got from listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson. Um, he's actually, he's been like a, a, a decent part of what I've been experiencing because I mean, his words always resonated with me, but at first he was just talking about like certain cultural issues. Right. And when I realized that like, okay, certain things make sense to me, but then understanding like where that comes from, like why, why are there people who think and act a certain way versus people who think and act in another way? And like, what, what is the framework of that? Like, what is the base of that? And what's interesting is that when I first got into Jordan, I don't know, maybe like 2016, 2017, whenever he kind of started getting popular, um, I remember thinking, I really like this guy, but he talks about religion too much. This is just stupid. Why does he keep talking about religion? Like, it's, he's losing me here. And I think that was just me, like, being really ignorant of not understanding that, like, all of human existence comes from some type of, like, belief, right? Like, all humans going back as far as we have people had these things that they believed in. And like religion is, is a, it's, it's inextricable from the human experience to have these ideas and to look to something outside of ourselves. And when, when I started like really getting away from trying to be someone and trying to just like actually do a little introspection and think about what I actually felt and what I believed, I realized that, okay, so now I'm looking into something that looks more like spirituality, right? I, I wasn't thinking about it. And now that's like making more sense to me, but I, it's still very abstract. And I don't really know like where that comes from or what that means. And he's the one that really connected to me how much of what we do and what we think come from these like biblical archetypes, right? Like these are all stories that explain the human condition. And, you know, the, the idea of like truth and like morality started to just kind of sit more in my mind. And I started to think about like, what, what is my, what is my guide? Like I'm clearly living in a certain way. What is, what is, what is pushing that? Like what, what, what am I, what is the map that I'm following? Cause I'm clearly doing something in a certain way. So where does this come from? And it was within the last year that I like, I wouldn't say I decided, but that I realized that I believed in God. And it, part of that came from listening to one, his, one of his um, talks somewhere where someone asked, do you believe in God? And he said that he didn't feel like he didn't know if he deserved the ability to say that he believed in God, but that he, he lived as if he believed in God. Mm. And I, I realized that that was me from a young age. Like, I used to talk to God at a young age and I used to pray at a young age. And, you know, when no one's looking, you still are thinking about, am I, is this thing that I'm doing, is it wrong? Cause if no one sees then, and no one, no one can judge me, then am I doing something wrong? But like, you know, God, God, God can still see and God can still judge me. And if, if that is what, what matters to me, and if that's the way I want to live my life, then it understands that like, okay, now there's, there's all of this, there's like thousands of years of God that I can, I can look to as far as like what, what men have discussed of the, of the concept of God. And, but I'm like, I don't follow a specific religion though. I, I would say I'm starting to be like drawn to some like Orthodox Christianity. Like I just, I just got my first Bible and I've started, you know, just reading it. And 
I, again, I'm not trying to convert to a religion, but I realize that there are these these like these like axioms which I just believe in so firmly, and, and I realize oh that these have already been created thousands of years ago by other men, and so if, if something that I think of to be true and to be such a strong guiding force exists out there, like it permeates through the human existence, then I it probably served me to learn more about it. Um, and, and that's like where that kind of like life and suffering, life is suffering sort of comes around is that our, our goal in life should not be to live the safest, easiest life possible because then everything loses its meaning. If you live your entire life in a plastic bubble, like hooked up to machines and you, you know, you're getting your, you know, nutrition, supposedly whatever, and you live to be 75 years old versus if you lived an amazing adventurous life full of meaning and, and, and love and people and experiences. And, you know, you, you crash in a helicopter at 50, like there's a lot more life in those 50 years than there were in those, those vegetable, you know, 75 years. Um, so, and what we see in the world right now is people, they're valuing safety over everything else. And I value freedom over everything else. And so I want to live my life and I want to pursue the things that, that have value to me and mean something. to me. Yeah. I love Did that. Did you go to college? Uh, yeah, I went to USC, but I didn't graduate. And what were you studying there? So I started studying real estate development, and then I switched to kinesiology when I kind of decided I wanted to be a personal trainer. But then I, when I realized that, what I, so I was learning stuff in school, and I had to put answers I knew to be wrong on tests to pass the class. Like, you know, like the test is like saturated fat is bad. So I have to like circle that thing. Um, and so once I realized that, I just kind of stopped putting any value in it at all. And then I realized I was just wasting money. So I also realized, well, anything that I want to do in life is not going to require a degree anyways. So I dropped out of school and started training people. Um, where do you think you learned to articulate your thoughts so well? Have it always been like that? Or did, did you learn that from your parents? Or Man, I don't know. Because um, I'm yanking that God shit out. That's going on my Instagram. Sure. <laughs> um, that was great. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think like that's, that's certainly been a part of me always. Um, my, my dad is an amazing people person. He was like, he, he's was in real estate for like 50, 60 years or something. And so he's, he's an amazing salesman. He can just, that's how he is. And my mom is actually like a numbers person. She was a, she was in finance before I was born. Um, they're, they're both very artistic, but they have, very different kind of like my mom is more of a numbers person. My dad's more of this kind of like talking kind of artistic expression person. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think I'm like very much a mix of both of them. Cause like, I'm also very numbers and analytical, but I, I like, you know, math was always my, my best class. Like I aced the math on the SATs and everything, but I, I was trying to live my life too robotically. I was trying to analyze everything and put everything in the numbers and that was leading to a lot of anxiety. Um, and so it was the, the, the numbers were safety because I went, okay, I used to always say math is my favorite, uh, my favorite subject because there's a right answer and I want the right answer. But then, you know, you realize that life doesn't work quite like that. And I was able to, to let go of that safety in numbers and more so just kind of follow my my heart so to speak um and yeah i mean i i just like i've been talking a lot as i've gotten older and more comfortable um and it's really easy for me to do when's your birthday 
Uh, May 29th. I'm a Gemini. Uh, that was my next question. What sign are you? I'm always convinced that I'm going to have a guest who has the exact same birthday as me. I mean, it's got to happen eventually. Yeah, I guess. But um, every time it, it takes one more guest, it's like ruining the mystique for me. Cause like I fancy myself as like being psychic or some shit, but I'm not. Have you met when you were in Los Angeles? Did you ever come across Ronnie Teasdale? Oh, did you, do you not know our background? No. I didn't so, see him on your Instagram everywhere, anywhere. Well, that's because you, he would have been back there. Actually, I don't oh, know if I, I went back been, there. I went back there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he was ever on my Instagram, but you didn't see any pictures of me at Mean Streets? Oh, maybe I did. Maybe I did. I mean, it takes, I scoured, it took me like two hours to get through the whole thing. So I was moving pretty fast. But okay. maybe I did, yeah. I, I saw you so, at Deuce a lot just because I knew because of the sign, but I don't know yeah. about Mean Streets. Okay, go on. So, so uh, Mean Streets was my first CrossFit gym. Ronnie was oh, my first shit. Um, I met Ronnie in October of 2011. Um, actually, one of my friends, my best friend in college, my roommate at the time, he was like, you should come do this CrossFit thing because I was always like in the gym working out. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. So I showed up and it was some like, terrible long partner workout thing. I had a bunch of pistols and I couldn't do pistols. And I remember like just, I mean, I didn't have the mobility to do pistols and I'm just, it's, it's a, it's, it was a nightmare. Right. And Ronnie being the douchebag that he is, or maybe that he was. <laughs> Ronnie, oh, you're shit. breaking my heart. Every podcast I go on, someone wants to throw rocks at Ronnie. No, I love Ronnie though. Okay, this is good. Just, okay, yeah. good. So Ronnie, Ronnie's giving me like shit for how bad my pistols are. And like, I had just like squatted the day before. It was like, yeah, my legs are super sore. I squatted yesterday. And he goes, that's a shitty excuse. And I was like, fuck this guy. This guy's an asshole. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't want to come back here. So I didn't come back for a couple months, I think. And I think I came back in like October, November or something. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, cause like Ronnie's the one who like told me about paleo. Um, Ronnie's, Ronnie's had a huge, huge influence on my life. Did he also, um, was he also and then the I ended one up, who told you about uh, exposing your genitals to sun? Um, no, I don't think I got that from him. I mean, like I saw him doing that. Um, I don't know if I got that from somewhere. I just always figured if tanning's good, tanning naked's good too, or even better. Because um, like that's the way I always look at everything. It's like, how does this make sense, right? I always, and that's why the idea of looking at like evolution like how we got here it's like okay what are we supposed to do like a bunch of naked cavemen right like they're going to be getting sun on their bodies and on their genitals we're going to be barefoot in the dirt and they're going to be eating raw meat and whatever and so like that's probably what we should do too um and then so after after college i ended up uh working at mean streets for a bit uh coaching and then, wait a second um, i want to i want to get, get a little more detail there so you go to his gym but he basically says, "Quit being a pussy." You don't. Yeah. You go away for two years, and you come no, back. Months. Oh, two months. Sorry. Yeah. What brings you back? By the way, that um, was the same way I met Dave Castro. By the way, basically, I was sense. at an L one, and he basically said, "We have ninety five pound bars for to do Fran for men, and we have sixty five pound bars for women and pussies." And I was like, "Fuck this guy!" <laughs> but then I ended up loving him to death. Yeah. It's like, hey, that's on me if I think I'm a pussy. I should have been like, okay, I'm a woman or a pussy. Who gives a fuck? And I should have went and did it. Like, he can say what yeah. he wants. Anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm, go ahead. I don't, I don't remember exactly what took me back. I think it was because, like, my friend was going there, and I was thinking, like, okay, all I'm doing for fitness is, like, doing, like, bodybuilding, whatever, and then, you know, maybe going for, like, a run. And it was kind of the idea, like, well, that doesn't seem very functional. Like, this 
again, it was like more of like the caveman thing. It's like, okay, this makes more sense. Um, so still I started 2011, going still 2011. Yeah. No, no, okay. this was, yeah, this was 2011. Um, was he nice and, to you when you went back in or was he, I mean, not that he was mean, but was he still always so blunt? Was he I mean, always I mean, so he blunt? Ronnie, you know, he was just yeah. Ronnie. Right. He'll, just, he'll just challenge your way of thinking. And that makes yeah. some people it, uncomfortable. It took, a, it took a long time for me to be comfortable enough with myself to allow myself to be okay with who Ronnie was, right? right. Ronnie was always okay with who he was, but I wasn't okay with who I was. And so that, that pisses a lot of people off. It, it intimidates them. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, it's, it's, I was, he was just bringing out my own, my own self-perceived weakness at the time. Isn't it um, amazing? And now you hang out with him now that you know, and it's like it's like two matches probably coming together. When I was obviously older when I met Ronnie, and probably if I was in high school, I would thought he was weird as shit. But when I'm around him, I'm always like, oh, here's here's a free pass to freedom, right? Because he's he's yeah. himself. So fuck it, I could do whatever I want. I'll wear these fucking stupid red glasses if I want. I'll come out fucking naked, like whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is like you know you're always getting Ronnie. And you can all, and you can always do you. He don't give a shit what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very freeing to be around someone like that. And it's who, you know, is you're just getting their genuine self. Um, and it makes you more comfortable to be the same, but if you aren't or run away, like you were saying, (laughs) right. So if you're not comfortable being yourself, then you're going to look at that and you're going to be scared of that and you're going to reject it for sure. Right. Well said. Um, do you, do you still stay in contact with them? Um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we probably like, I don't know, DM every like once in a while. We don't talk like regularly. Um, actually like, so I'm, I'm trying to get my own podcast set up. Like I got my, my canary. Oh, nice. Nice. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to like set it up for my computer to this point yet. Like with my camera and everything, I'm just trying to get that figured out. And so like Ronnie's probably, I want to be my first guest just because he's kind of like the first person who kind of like shifted my life down this kind of. And he's had a crazy journey too, right? Like he's so different than, than the Ronnie he was 10 years ago. So he's a pretty fascinating person. I love his journey. I, I obviously follow him on Instagram. I like everything he does, all the all the different things he tries. I mean, I guess it's maybe why I like you too. It's like, hey, the, I'm getting to watch someone experiment with their body in a way that's like not dangerous. You know what I mean? Like some people yeah. like watching people doing skydiving or crazy shit. I just like like people who are basically on a, on the on a – on a more severe health journey, like basically really blazing the path forward. Like that, that video you made where you eat the chicken head. I mean, that's something else. I mean, that's some great camera shots and up close and you're calm. And any other time you would have seen someone eating a, a, a chicken head, it would have been like on fear factor. Right. And right. so it's cool to see this. It's cool. It's really, it's, it's, it's awesome. I think you're, 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 I think you are contributing to humanity in a very, 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 very positive way. No, thanks, man. Josh, when you um, were, when I was watching that video, it just kept thinking, have you ever eaten anything, any specifically any part of an animal that you feel like your body has rejected? Um, or have you ever just thrown up like you ate a cockroach and you're like, oh, no, I mean, like, you know, getting used to eating like liver was like sometimes you're kind of just like kind of thing. Um, cooked or but then like once it's down, did you have that experience with it cooked or raw or both? Um, I think I've, I think I've certainly experienced that raw, like because it's the texture a lot of times, which gets people too. Um, especially like the rotten liver, because like that thing smells terrible. <laughs> 
Dude, I was I was so terrible. impressed when you were you were eating the chicken brain because you your face yeah. never change. You're like, yeah, it's kind of like a blueberry. Like even if you're not opposed to eating it, you still might have like some kind right. of a just natural response to it. But you were just like, oh no, yeah, I'm just eating this and nothing changed. Yeah, I mean, some things taste worse than other things do. Um, that's definitely for sure. The 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 thing about the eyes and the brain, they don't really taste like much. It's just kind of a mushy texture. Um, like with the, I'll probably like, I need to, cause I'm, I don't have any like current rotten liver. I need to like make some more. Um, so I probably would should do a video about that. Show people like how green it is and everything. But what you, what you the, the trick is you cut it into small bite sized pieces when you put it in the jar so that you can just put it in your mouth and just kind of like, you know, maybe chew it once or twice and swallow it. Are you sure the trick isn't to dip it in honey or peanut butter now that's or an it. enema? Yeah. No, Josh, that, Josh. <laughs> or an enema. God. Josh, that's interesting so, to me because, that you say you just kind of want to uh, chew it once or twice because um, I did a OPEC certification with James Fitzgerald. And one of the things they talk about is chewing your food like 20 to 50 times per bite. So it, like, does that make sense to you? Does it make sense that someone would spend a bunch of time chewing their food for some reason before they swallow it? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reconsidering all the time what makes sense to me. So, so okay. So I went to breakfast with OPT before lunch or some shit, and he did. He does that shit. It would be crazy. You're sitting across from him. You're done with your food. And he's on his third bite, still chewing his shit up. Okay, so 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 think about this, right? If if any of you guys have watched the carnivore, or if you have a dog and you've ever given it raw meat, it inhales that shit, right? Inhales. Think about the animals that chew. The herbivores are just sitting there, and their mouth goes like this. Right, they their digestion is a very slow process. They're sitting there and they're breaking it down. They're getting the saliva going and they're kind of they're churning it through their system. Meat is not like that. So I actually chew my food much less than I did before. Um, now, because you know, it would take me a long time to eat like a you know three four pounds of steak for dinner, right? Like that that takes a long time. Um, Especially if it's not cooked, three or four pounds. No, it, well, it takes longer if it's cooked. It does. It does. I just picture it being chewy as fuck, like you're trying to break down bubble gum. But, that, but that's the thing is like, you know, depending on the cut, it might be chewier. But like, if you just swallow it, it's not chewy anymore. It's just okay. in your, right? Your, your hydrochloric acid is so strong that the meat just disintegrates. Um, so I just do like two bites and then I just swallow it and I digest it perfectly. There was actually, there was a, like a, I think it was like a German scientist, like in the 20s, who took uh, two frogs took a, a raw frog and a, and a cooked frog and he put them each into like a vat of the stomach acid of a carnivorous animal. And the raw frog in a short period of time, like completely disintegrated to the point where like it's gone, right? You can't see it. And the cooked frog, frog had all these like fragments still floating in it. When you cook mm. something, you are, you're changing its chemical composition. And again, there's not a single animal in the entire world that eats cooked food, but us. So not like that argument that like vegans use, like, oh, we're the only ones that drink milk or whatever bullshit. Um, but <laughs> like it, to, to think that like we're the only animals that can't handle bacteria in our system and like raw meat, it's just, it's just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And, 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 the, and the ones who, who can't probably have put themselves like that by so much protection. Like I was just – I saw – I was reading something yesterday about the virome. I don't even know if I'm – pronouncing it right are you familiar with this i mean i'm familiar with the term 
Basically, there's 380 trillion viruses living in every human being, and basically 8% of our DNA is made from viruses. And and if, if, I, if I heard it correctly, one of the things they were saying is, is that it was a virus that an animal got that shifted us to mammals. And it's basically talking about the importance of viruses and that it's not a good idea for us to be vaccinating an entire population when viruses are kind of like a software update for human beings. So... So viruses, viruses aren't like living, right? They're not right. like a living. Bacteria are living. Bacteria are, are like our organisms, right? They are their own thing. But most of our cells are bacteria. Viruses are, are our own, bac- are, is our, part of our own makeup. People, like you're not catching a virus. The virus is already in your body. Your body sends a virus to do work, to clean things up. Um, so we have tons of, viruses in us at all times and we have you know trillions of bacteria as well that's our natural state to live in harmony with bacteria and and viruses so you know one one of these the things that's really concerning to me is that all the kids that have been born this year that are being exposed to nothing because they're just you know they go to the hospital their Mm. mom they have a birth in a room and they go home and they haven't left their house a close friend Mm. of mine uh wife finally brought her kids to the gym the other day and it's like the second place he's been other than on a walk with his mom or, or at the home. And so, Hey, especially if those kids aren't born vaginally, if those kids are not born vaginally and you leave a kid at fucking home for a year, that is not good. Right. Yeah. Because and this you is have a, crazy an entire, capability to build your immune system in that first year. This is an entire is population of people that, I mean, this has happened to, you know, most of the kids that have been born in the last 12 months. But Josh, you'll love this. My kids weren't bathed for months after they were born. They were born at home vaginally and people yeah. thought we were crazy, but we just didn't bathe them for at least, no, I think my firstborn a month and my twins probably two or three months. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it should, I mean, we're really not, like baths are supposed to be a very rare thing if you found a source of water, right? Hmm. Um, we're supposed to be dirty and filled with bacteria all the time so if, if you have a kid like go let just go put that kid like face first and face first into the dirt and like let them play with dog shit like that is all going to make your kid healthier um and guess what and my kids don't get sick yeah like, so we think of we think of like immune system what we're really talking about is that the bacteria is what makes you you like we, we people always talk about oh gut the gut biome right like and, and kind of like the second brain, like is in the gut, right? The, the bacteria are, are, are you like the, your personality will change based on the bacteria that's in you. It's like, how would I just, it's like talking like that being calm or anxious or depressed. Like that is coming from the bacteria that's in your gut. That's, that's, that's creating your mental state. We think like it's just up here, but it's in our gut. Right. And that's all bacteria. And there's like, there's no. There's no good or bad bacteria. Our body just is filled with bacteria and it needs a lot of it. We have bacteria that is more present when our body is dealing with problems. So like candida isn't bad bacteria. Candida has to come do the work when you've been eating a bunch of processed food and sugar. So you have more candida to try to, to, to help deal with that. If you kill your, your candida, you're killing, you're killing your firefighters who are present at the fire and you're just making yourself weaker so like yeah go go in the dirt and surround yourself with bacteria eat food that is alive that is uncooked that is that is raw that is filled with bacteria and you'll be healthier 
Well, this whole thing, you know, he we just had denounced this... sugar, Brian. You heard that he denounced sugar. Well, I, I, not I, I, closer. <laughs> I said the same thing in the grocery store today because there was, you know, this one woman, she was telling me and she was crying. She was saying three of my family members have died from COVID this year. And, and I, you know, can, you know, empathize with her for that, of course. But uh, ultimately I left there saying COVID is, I mean, <laughs> sugar is the problem, not, not the masks. Not, that's not the answer. Stop eating sugar. You guys will be fine. And I, and I left the grocery store. So I'm on board with that. Obviously. You said that to someone who had three COVID deaths in their family? I did. Callous. Yeah. I mean, honest but, man. But here's the reason. Man. But it's what Josh was talking about earlier is the reason. I actually had this happen to me uh, two days ago. As I was in the parking lot, walking to my car, and I had this kind of thing wash over me of, you know, stop being afraid to walk into the store without a mask. You are totally comfortable with that. And I feel very confident saying to the people there who confront me, you have nothing to fear from me. You're totally safe around me. And I, and I can feel like I can say that honestly. And so then I can, I can speak my mind. If I was not speaking truth, then I wouldn't be confident saying those things. Yeah, it's really easy to, to stand firm in your expression, your beliefs, when you have full confidence in what you're saying is, is true, right? Like it becomes a lot easier to live in that way when you believe it fully. God, that, that, that's, that's, that's what honesty, that's why honesty, you can tell when someone's like, an honest expression versus someone that's lying to you, it feels very different because the, the, the person themselves, it's the person knows if they're lying, right? And that's going to come out in everything that they do. But the, it's, it's you're, you're a healthy person. You kind of, to some extent, understand how this thing works. So like, I don't, no one can get me sick. That's not a possibility. So like, yeah, go, go put me around people who have COVID. Like I'm not going to get sick. That's just not how it works. Yeah. And not only I mean, that, but you're, you're, you're more than willing to get it and help build herd immunity. You're more than willing to take the virus on and build immunity to protect other people. Well, sure. But like that, but that's the thing though, is that like, I'm not, I, like, I already have, we all already have the virus. We're not getting, you're not getting the virus. The virus is what your body is using to, to cleanse itself of whatever toxins are in our food or our environment or whatever it is. Um, the, you know, so you, you bring up like sugar, right? And I think that sugar causes problems, but assuming that it's from natural food source, like fruit or something, it doesn't cause problems the same way that like a refined sugar. Oh, hundred percent. Right? Right? We should be clear on that. Yeah. Ref I'm just talking about refined carbohydrates yeah. and fucking raisin bran. But, but, like, but I really, I, I really do think it's the, the seed oils cause just as much, if not more damage than the sugar does. Mm -hmm. And that stuff stays in your system forever. Because once once you do once you take in that oxidized oil, it like it hardens in your body to like to, it's basically plastic. You're eating plastic, and then it solidifies in your body, and then it's just stuck in there. And that is what really I think that that is what fucks up the metabolisms, and then the sugar becomes really harmful. So do you not eat any nuts or seeds? Uh, no. But it's not that I wouldn't eat a nut, but I think like actually in, in they're the not book, a regular part. If I came to your house, you don't have a bag of maggot, macadamia nuts in your in your. I, I have zero nuts in my house. Okay. Um, there. I think if like if you mix, so raw honey is this like amazing food. So I eat probably over two hundred grams of sugar a day from raw honey and milk. I probably eat like a, a very little amount of fruit once a week, once a week or something right now, but I eat tons of sugar every day, but 
I don't feel like it doesn't feel like sugar. When you say milk, you specifically um, mean raw milk, right? Yeah, yeah. So raw milk, raw honey. Um, so, so I like I love Brian. Are we going to the store right when this is over and getting raw milk? And uh, raw honey? Well, I've been researching 100%. best ways to get raw milk all week. Seba. Where do you live? Chicago area. There's some okay. places I, I can get it, but it's not that easy. Go 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 to go to realmilk.com. Yeah. And get rawmilk.com and you'll find how you can get it. Um, but yeah, so like I, I was always like a really big ice cream person. Um, and I, I would eat like a pint of ice cream before bed and then it would keep me up, right? Like all the sugar. I make my own ice cream with raw milk and honey and I can eat a whole quart of it. And it has double the sugar technically that the, the ice cream I used to eat does. Um, and I can go right to sleep right afterwards. Like it doesn't do to your system what sugar does, uh, or what we think sugar does. Cause like raw honey is, it's just, it's enzymes. Like it has sugar, but it's enzymes and what it does to the digestion of food. So you mix raw honey in with raw milk and now your body is going to digest the milk better. You mix raw honey with nuts. Now your, now your body's going to digest the nuts better because you're adding enzymes to all this. So when I, so what was interesting is that because I do the celery juice and the other day I had some carrot juice and I think I probably had like 50 grams of sugar maybe from carrot juice. And I was like, I, I could feel myself getting almost jittery from the sugar because that, that is like sugar, sugar. And it's not, it's not the same composition that milk and honey have. Second guest in a row. Paul said the same thing. He's, Hey, he's rethinking honey. That like he he's added honey to the carnivore diet and seen benefits. Yeah, for sure. Really cool. Um, we have to go. I want to finish on one one thing. If for people out there, so I want. Let's say I want to try get some raw meat and I want to try eating some raw meat. Where what can I? Where can I go get a steak? Or what would you suggest be the first thing I do to try that? Or would you recommend someone try that? So I think the what people get hung up on is they think that the the meat that you eat raw needs to be different than the meat that you eat cooked. And it's the wrong way of looking at it. The, any meat that you don't want to eat raw, you don't want to eat cooked either. You should be trying to get the best quality meat that you can get. And so if you can get meat from like from a farm or from a farmer or someplace that a farmer's market that sells meat, like that's your best bet. Um, that being said, I would not like, I think, and Paul has said this in the past too, like buying, buying, uh, beef or bison from a, a supermarket or like a whole foods that's grass fed is going to be way better quality than whatever chicken and pork you can find. So I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't eat raw chicken or pork that you get from a grocery store, but I also wouldn't eat that chicken or pork cooked either. Okay. Um, so starting with red meat is probably going to be the easiest thing for people to do just like mentally and sourcing. Um, so try to find like a, the, the, a farm close to you, or you can order from Bel Campo or White Oak Pastures. Um, I, I have a I have a discount code with Bel Campo if you order online. It's Goldstein ten. Um, that way, you know you're getting very well fed and cared for uh, meat of all kinds. I, I've eaten there that, that, that chicken that I was eating. Like that's a Bel Campo chicken. Um, it just com- <clears throat> it just comes in the mail. Like you go on the website and you order. Yeah, they, they send you a frozen box uh, anywhere awesome. in the country. Um, and uh, what I will say is that some people have a big problem with the texture. So get some ground meat and make some tartare. Oh. 
So, so one of my friends who lives by me bought two um, black Angus like calves and then just let them run around on his property and eat. And then he had them ground up and turned into steaks and livers and all that stuff and bones, whatever the guys come out and do it. And I buy that from them. So that's good enough to go, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. You just, you just have to, you have to figure out what a lot, cause some people can't deal with the texture or the mindset of it. So I used to eat a ton of raw ground beef as a kid, but my grandmother prepared it in a certain way with like lemon juice and bulgur and like, I forget what she did. It's some Armenian dish. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I just take the, the ground meat and the, and whole eggs and I just mash them together and I just eat it as is. Some people might not be able to handle the, the whites, the egg whites kind of give a little textural thing, but I mean, you could chop up some onions and, and cilantro and parsley in there and kind of do whatever you want. But that's kind of like the easiest way I think to get used to the, the texture of it. Awesome. Farb, Josh, Mr. Goldstein. Thank you. Dude, thank you so much for having me on. You came on with a stranger. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Have a